We'll go ahead and turn in your Bible to first, first Bibles to First Timothy chapter six. We're at the end of the letter. You know, Paul is writing to Timothy. He's his friend. He has appointed Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Paul is in Macedonia, and he, the plan, of course, is twofold: encourage Timothy to stand to fulfill the ministry that he has, but it's also to instruct the church on how to function. We can learn from this as we've looked at the passages as over the weeks and over the months that we can see that we're to stand for our Savior Jesus Christ, and also information about how the church is to function. As we move to the end of the letter. Paul looks at a subject that really is vital and affects every one of us. Here's some of the things he deals with. He deals with contentment, riches, money, materialism, sharing, and giving. All of that, in fact, starting at verse 6, going through verse 19, is that last section. And then in our section, even this morning, he he actually says, I'm going to give instructions to those who are wealthy. We would all look at that, or a lot of us would look at it and say, well, I'm, I'm not wealthy, I'm not rich. But we are. We are compared to the rest of the world. And, and so the, as what we're going to look at is what should be our attitude concerning money and things. What are we to do uh, with what he has given to us? So we want to understand these truths, and we want to make application in our lives. The bottom line is we want to be faithful men and women. Faithful men, faithful women, uh, to be stewards of what God has given to us. We want to be informed from the Word. We want to be encouraged from the Word of God. And we want to make application. Well... The other morning I was in Chick-fil-A. I love going to Chick-fil-A. And have you ever done this? Have you ever been in the drive-thru like, and, and, and you pay for yourself and then you pay for the person behind you? Well, one morning I was there and Merlin, who's the owner, he and I were standing talking. He said, you know, the day before a person paid for the car behind them and it went on 15 cars that they kept doing that. People giving to others. You know, as believers, we should be givers. In fact, what Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. I mean, that's a powerful truth. It is actually a greater blessing to give than to receive. The Word of God gives us instructions that we as believers, what are we to do with what God has given to us? In fact, we're supposed to be generous and ready to share. We're to do good. Well, with what God has given us, we're to use for His glory. We should have, really, what the Bible calls an attitude of sharing. This passage this morning, Paul is going to instruct those who are rich in this present world, that's us, to do good, to be generous, be ready to share. We come to the end of the letter, and he's dealing with these issues uh, in the church, and there's a lot of things there in, in the church at Ephesus that we, of course, can apply in our lives even right now. Let me break down this last section for you. Two things. We'll see verses 17, 18, and 19 this morning, and then 20 and 21 next week. But he gives, in this section this morning, he gives instructions to the rich. He gives negative and positive. In fact, he gives two negatives, four positives, and then he gives the results. And it all deals with, with uh, the use of things, being rich and that kind of thing. Then next time, we'll actually see the final exhortation in verses 20 and 21. Once again, for the fourth or fifth time in the book, he talks about false teachers and about guarding the truth. And what we'll do is we'll look at those verses and then we'll put the whole book together again as we finish it so we can see how it fits together. Now, this morning, instructions to the rich. And Paul deals with material things, and he deals with things and believers' use of these things. So let me remind you of what we've been seeing, and it's really, it's just a lot of things in there. Our culture, of course, is, is into materialism. If, if we're not careful, we'll be conformed to the, to that stuff. You remember we said that if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to the world. That's what happens. And see, sometimes people, we don't even know it's happening. We say, I don't think I'm being conformed to the world, but we are. And so we, we want to think about this whole idea of materialism. He says this. He says in verse 9, those who want to get rich. And in verse 10, he says, for the love of money. And, and the bottom line is this. He said, he, he gave a warning. He said, if you want to be rich, if you 
love money, there's a warning for first of all because you're going to want more and more and more. And then you're going to be trapped because you're going to think that the things that you have are actually your things. And then finally you're going to end up loving things more than you love God. He actually said that what you should do is flee from that and pursue righteous living, living godly, obeying the word of God. That's what we've been up to. Now this morning, Paul's continuing instructions and he's really going to talk about those who are rich. And we'll talk about it in just a minute because we are the rich ones. Uh, that, that's, that's who we are. As, if you look at us compared to the rest of the world, we're by far richer than anyone else. Even, even our poor people in the United States are rich compared to the rest of the world. And we'll talk more about it. What he does is he gives us six things, six commands, you might say, to help us deal with riches and money and things and materialism. Look at the six. Here's what he says. He says, don't be conceited. He says, don't hope in riches. He says, put your hope in God. Do good, be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share. Those six things, we'll see those. Two are negative. He gives the first two negatives, and then he comes back with the positive, and then he basically tells what you do with the, with, with the stuff that you have. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. So there's some great things there. Let me, uh, l- let's get a brief review as we put into this. Notice verse 17. He starts off by saying, instruct those who are rich in this present world, and then notice what he says, not to be conceited, not to fix the hopes on uncertainty, of riches, but put your hope in God. And then he goes on down in verse 18 and says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So those are the six things. Well, let's start at verse 17. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world. Now, in this passage, the word instruct is, is actually a command. He's not giving suggestions. He's not saying, I would like to make a suggestion to you about what you do with material things. He's not doing that. He's actually saying, now, this is a command. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. He's talking about this age. Now, of course, when, when Paul was writing to Timothy, in that culture, in that world, uh, a huge number of people, I mean, 60 to 70 to 80 percent of the people were in poverty. Very, very poor. There was a very small section after that, maybe 10% of the people that live what we'd call normal, modest means, and then a very small section of wealthy people. So you had very wealthy people and then a, a very small group of very wealthy people and then a whole bunch of people that were poor. When he writes this, he's writing to the wealthy people. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world. Well, the truth is, you would look at this and we say, well, that's not me because I look around and I'm definitely not rich. We say that. We say, I'm not rich. But the truth is, we may look around in the United States and say, we're not rich. But if we look around anywhere else in the world, we are the richest people in the world. And every one of us in this room, even if we say, well, I'm kind of poverty level in the United States, okay, even if you're poverty level in the United States, you're rich everywhere else. You just go and look at other countries. And and we have more, you know, just, yeah, I mean, think about it. Think about the level of food and shelter and clothing that we have. Most of us eat more in one day than some people eat in two weeks. Most of us, we're not having one shirt. We've got many shirts. The houses that we live in, there are places in the world that see our houses and they'd say, you mean four people live in a place that big? There's eight of us living in a one-room house in a lot of places in the world. And so we are so rich. We're to use wisely what God has given to us. So he starts off and he says, now I'm going to give some instructions. Instructions to those who are rich in this present world. And then he starts off and he says, number one, be conceited. Not to be conceited. The word conceited means to be puffed up. And that's what he says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. It's so easy that if you have something, 
that you get conceited. When you look around and you say, look, look what we have. And compared to these other people, we got so much more. And you say, yeah, it's because I worked hard. It's because I have this. It's because I have this. That's what a lot of people think. You realize everything you have comes from God. And so he says, listen, if you are rich, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be conceited, to think that they're better than somebody else just because they have more. Listen to this. Haddon Robinson said this. He said, for every verse that tells us benefits of wealth, we have ten that tell us of the dangers. It is true. The more you have, the more you're responsible for. We realize that it is the grace of God that what we have, God has given to us. All that we have comes from God. All that we need comes from God. Everything that we have is a temporary thing as we're just passing through. We came into this world with nothing. We're going out of this world with nothing. Everything is just to be used for his glory. So he says, listen, if you're rich in this present world, and that's us, don't be conceited about it. Don't look around and go, we got better. We're, we're better than anybody else. In fact, sometimes the Americans, they go, you, you proud, arrogant Americans, because we do have everything. We do. The blessings of God. He says, don't be conceited. Don't be puffed up. It's not really ours anyway, is it? I mean, when you get right down to it, everything you have comes from God. And everything that we have is from God, and we are to use them as stewards because actually it's His. I've talked about it many times. It's not my office. It's not my desk. That's, that's, you know, if somebody says, hey, I like your office at the church, that's not my office. It doesn't belong to me. In fact, everything that I have and everything that you have really doesn't belong to you. It's from God. He's loaned it to you in a sense and says, I want you to use it as a wise steward for my, for my glory. That's what he wants. So he says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be conceited. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, a proud man always looks down on other people and things. And as long as you look down, you can't see God who is above. So pride and this whole thing of conceit. You know, there's an old saying that says that a man who gets too big for his britches will be exposed in the end. Okay? Think about it. You have to think about it. Okay? And it's true. So he says, don't be conceited. There's a second thing that's also negative, and that is not to fix our hope on uncertain riches. You know why he says don't put your hope on uncertain riches? Because they're uncertain. You just never know if you're going to have them. Notice what he says, not to, uh, not to uh, fix hope on the uncertainty of riches. You never know what's going to happen with material things. They're just temporary. I mean, you know, you get something, even if it's something brand new, it breaks. It can break immediately. It can wear out. You never know what's going to happen. We watched the stock market and everything. In fact, last week, one during the week, it dropped a thousand points in, in, in just a matter of, of minutes. And then it went back up and people were saying, I lost everything. I gained, you know, there's, you know, you never know what's going to happen to things. He says, listen, don't, don't put your hope. In the uncertainty of riches, Proverbs 23, 5, basically says that, that riches fly away. They can fly away. You put your hope in God, not in things, because anything can happen to things. I read a little story about a man walking along a beach, and he found this bottle, and, and he rubbed it, and a genie came out. <laughs> and he said, wow, okay, uh, uh, here's what I want to know. I want to know the stock market one year from today so I can make all kind of money. And so the, the genie gave him a newspaper with one year into the future. And he turned, and he got to the stock market, and he saw all the stocks that were doing so well, and he wrote them all down. And he said, I'm going to make a bunch of money. And then he looked on the last page, and it was obituaries, and he was in it. You just realized everything is so uncertain. He says, look, don't be conceited because you're rich. 
And don't trust in the uncertainties of riches. You can't hope in them because you don't know if they're going to be there tomorrow. They could be gone just like that. Jeremiah 9.23 says, Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but boast. If you're going to boast, boast that you know he knows and understands the Lord. The word boast in the Hebrew there means confidence. Let not the rich man have his confidence in his riches, but his confidence is the fact that he knows and understands the Lord. So he says, look, don't be conceited. That's all of us because we're rich. Don't be conceited. And don't put our trust in riches. But then he gives us the third thing. And that is, but put your hope in God. Trust in God, not things. He never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Put our hope in God. Notice what he says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. That's number one. Number two, don't put the hope on uncertainty of riches. But here we go. Number three, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He gives us all things. God... God is is the one that we put our hope in. Not things, but God. Trust in Him. Things are temporary. God's eternal. Things are uncertain. God is sure. Things can be decay. They decay and lost. But God never leaves or forsakes us. Titus 2.13, we're looking for the blessed hope of our great God and Savior. Now, some people look to things. Now, this passage says for us to look to God. But some people look to things, uh, number one, to get their self-worth. Sometimes people look at things and they say, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this car, I've got this watch, I've got this house, I've got this much money in the bank account, I've got this job, I've got these clothes, and they get their self-worth from their things. But what happens when those things are gone? Because they could be gone. Sometimes also people look to their things for their security. They say, my 401k is rolling. It's doing really good. I, I, I'm doing really good now that Mark is coming back, and I've got this, and I've got this much money in a savings account, and, and, and I have another savings account that I have this much money in, and my retirement is supposed to be this. I should be okay. And they put their security in things. What if that's gone? See, your self-worth and your security can't be in things. Things never satisfy. Contentment never comes from things because there's always another thing. You've heard me say many times that the whole idea of contentment comes from your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, and your relationship with your friends. That's what it's all about. See, it's God that we trust. He is the one who gives us blessings, not necessarily material blessings. A lot of times he gives us, in fact, in our country, in our lives, he gives us a lot of material blessings, but he's given us spiritual blessings that nothing can change. We have a home in heaven, the power to live, spiritual gifts, word of God. We rest and have our contentment. In the living God. It has been said this, and I'm going to quote this. This is a quote. It says, contentment is the product of a heart resting in God. It is only possible when we have the attitude of accepting everything that enters our lives as coming from the hand of our great God who loves us beyond what we could imagine. That's what contentment is. We trust God. We rest in Him. We say, whatever you bring my way, I trust you. You have given me these things. I use them for your glory. Notice how he says this verse because he says, but put your trust in God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. You know, sometimes when you think about things and money and you start saying, look, don't trust in things and don't be conceited and all this, you think, well, things are, things are no good. No, he said, listen, he gave us all things to be enjoyed. Notice what he says, but richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. We put our hope not in things, but the giver of the things. We enjoy things that God gives us, but we don't trust in the things 
that God gives us. We trust in God. You remember Ecclesiastes and the writer Solomon? And he said, in one of the, I, mean, I remember reading this for the first time. First time I ever read Ecclesiastes, and, and it talked about how Solomon said, you know what I decided to do? I would get, I got every animal that I could want. I got every plant that I want. I got all the food that I want. I got a family that I wanted. I got, I got everything. Everything that, I, that a man's heart could desire, I got. And when I got it all, I said, that's vanity. It's empty. It doesn't, it doesn't really help. So you can get all the things in the world, and it won't satisfy you. You put your trust in God, not things. See, hope is not in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Very powerful truth. Now, he says this. Listen, rich people. And we say, okay, that's us. Don't be conceited because you have everything. Compared to the rest of the world, we have everything. Don't put your hope in these things because they're uncertain. But put your hope in God because he's the one that gives you everything to enjoy anyway. Now, with that in mind, what are we supposed to do with the things that we have? He says we're not just to consume things, but we're to share things. We're to take what God has given to us and we're to use them for his glory. I mean, the whole reason that God has given us so much is so that we can turn around and give it away to others. Notice what he says in verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Look at the, the first one that he lists there is number four, to do good. It literally means to do things that benefit others. He says do good. It's literally things of honor, things that benefit noble things. He says do good things. We are the owners. God is, in a sense, that the, the things that God has given to us, we're to use them. We're stewards of what God has given to us and we're to use them for his glory. We're to say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I want my life to count for you. We use things to help others. Galatians 6.10 says, do good to all men, especially, especially, which means above, especially the household of faith. We get calls to the church a lot. People call and they ask for money. They ask for things. One of the first questions we ask is, are you... do you go to countryside? You're a member of countryside. We we feel like it's our first responsibility to help those connected within our body before we help others. Because he says, do good to all men, especially the household of faith. And so we decide that uh, we we uh, you may know that as you have given money, there's extra money that we give away to people who have needs. He says, instruct those to do. Good to do noble things to help people. Uh, we're to do good. We begin with fellow believers, and then we help others outside the body. We're to use what God has given us for good. Look at the next one: to be rich in good works. Now, there's a contrast between being rich in things and being rich in good works. Now, things are just temporary, but good works. There's an eternal result to doing good works. We're going to see that in just a minute as we get toward the end. But he basically says, notice, but but be rich in good works. In other words, do good things. I love the book of Titus. Titus 3.8, says, Those who have believed God, be careful. Be very careful to maintain good works. 
Now, one of the deals, when you go to a church like Countryside, in which we, we, we think the emphasis is the Word of God, and we have a very clear grace message of salvation, and we say works have nothing to do with your salvation. You're not saved by doing good works. You don't keep being saved by doing good works. Good works have no part of salvation. It's by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But in a church like that, in which we emphasize the grace of God for salvation, sometimes people think we we don't talk about good works or that we should, don't care whether we do good or not. No, we We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're to do good. We're to take our lives and what God has given to us and the possessions and the things, and we're to use them for the glory of God. And he says, look, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. Think about it. When we do good things, two things happen. One, we see that it's the glory of God and it's a benefit to others. Whenever you use what God has given to you, it brings glory to God because you're his representative. And we recognize everything we have comes from God. We say, God, this is just this is you and this is for you. But it also is a benefit for others. When you take what God has given to you and you use it for his glory and you touch lives for Christ, you're benefiting others. Let me read something to you. I don't want you to turn there, but this is in the book of Acts. And this is at the very beginning of the church, right after, uh, right after the day of Pentecost, in which I think about 3,000 people were saved, and they're starting this, the ministry, you might say. And listen to what this says. This is Acts 2, verse 42. It says, They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. And then he goes on to say, And all who had believed were together and had things in common. They began selling their property and possession and were sharing them with all of anyone who might have need. They looked around and said, well, I have this and you don't have anything. Here, take this. Let me read over in chapter 4, same aspect, beginning about verse 34. It says, um, there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them, bring them to the apostles, and then the apostles would distribute them to each person who had any need. So the bottom line is they took what they had and they looked around and they said, this person has a need, I'm going to give to this person, I'll give to this person. That's what we do. We realize that we're to do good. We're to be rich in good works. God has given to us and we can take what God has given to us and use it for his glory and to benefit others. What are good works? Well, yes, you support missions and as you give your finances to the the church. A lot of people don't think about it, but as you give every week, we're able to do ministry at the church. I've had some people say, I had a person say to me one time, they said, you know, I only give where I know there's a need. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you know, like if you ask for something for missions or something like that, but I don't give any other time. And I said, well, let me, let me just go ahead and tell you this. We have a need every week. If the church is going to function and pay the electric bill and the gas bill and all those things, those are needs every week. So it's not like a big need like a mission trip that somebody would give to, but we give to, the, to, to support the local body. We give for missionaries. We give to, to feed others, to support others. Uh, what we want to do is this. If we could, there we go. We are to be a channel that God can use to touch other lives. Think about it. When you stand before Jesus Christ, and one day you will, it has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. We're talking about when you stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ, which is a rewarding stand, and you stand before him. What if he said to you, you were used in a mighty way to bring blessings to the things that I gave to you. You use them to touch lives for me. What if he said that to us? Wouldn't we go, yes, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for letting me be here. That's what we'd be saying, right? 
Now, let me just say something that's sort of sad. It's sad about our country because what's happened in the in the last uh, almost last about 80 years, the giving in the in America has gone way down. Did you know that right now what? Uh, and let me. I wanted to look at it to make sure I've got it. That right now, the giving in America is less proportionally, just less than what we give than when there was the Great Depression. We're giving less as a people than even then. Than in the height of the Great Depression, people gave more percentage-wise than we give now. Let me give you a statistic that you may not know. In the United States, in giving, this is all people, whether Christians or not, this is people who give to save the whales, give everything. They give 1.7% away. 1.7%. Those who are Christians... Uh, who say they they you know they either connect with the church or they're Christians? They give 2.1 or 2.2 percent away. Now that's pretty low. In fact, I hate to say it, but that's pretty pitiful. But anyway, that's that's what it is. That's what's happened. And you understand you're not under a law system. We're not under a tithe system. We never have been. That's the Mosaic law. If you want to go under the Mosaic law and the tithe system, it's 20 percent every year, 30 percent every three years, and that's not counting your free will offerings. So we're not under a tithe system. But we're under a grace system. And we ought to be giving because we're the richest people in the world. Ron Blue says this. If Christians were reduced to welfare, all Christians in the United States were reduced to welfare, and they all tithed off their welfare income, churches' income would double in America. And it's really true. This is a statistic that you will find hard to believe. I've looked it up and looked it up and found it. In the, in the average church, and I don't know about our church exactly, in the church in the United States, 60% of the people who belong to the churches, these are not visitors, these are people who say, this is my church, I'm a member, 60% have never given to their church and will never give one penny. 60% of the people in our churches. That's the statistics in the United States. Of the next 40% who do give, about 10% give 80% of everything that's given. So about 10% of the people give almost all of the money in a local church. Isn't that amazing? What if everybody connected to the church decided to give? Let me tell you this. If, our, if the statistics are right, and what if the statistics fit our church? I don't know because I don't know, I don't know what you give. But what if everybody here was given 2.2% and you decided that you would give a tenth. Not because you're under a law, because you're not under that. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you, 10% is a starting point, not an ending point. It's not something you shoot for, like, one day I'll get to a tenth. That should be your starting point. But what if everybody got to that starting point? Our budget would be five times greater than it is if we were all given 2%. Can you imagine that? Think what we could do with the missions and other things. He says, do good, be rich in good works, and then look at this last one, number six. Be generous, be ready to share. You know, when it comes to giving, some people stop at nothing. It's true. Be ready to share. Why do you give? What, 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 you know, whatever God has given to us, we're to use it for His glory. And, and one, of the, one of the great things about our country and about how God deals with us is He has, he has given us more. And you know, the more, the more you wisely use what God's given you, the more you're going to get. What do you do with what God continues to give you? What do you do with the wealth that we have? You remember the parable about the guy that had the barns and, and, and his crops came in and his barns were already full? 
And he got in more and he said, oh, my gracious, I got more than that. He said, what I'm going to have to do is tear down my barns and build bigger barns and put it all in. That's what he did. And then the Lord came to him at night and said, your life is required from you today. You know what the problem was with that guy? What he should have been doing is when all this stuff came in, he shouldn't have been saying, oh, i got to build bigger barns to put all my stuff in it. What he should have said, i got so much stuff, I need to be giving a good bit away. i got so much now, I don't even know what to do with it. Those of us in America, we got more than we know what to do with. And so we should be generous, ready to share. That's what he says. As I said a while ago, you're not under any kind of legal system, law system. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says you give as you purpose in your heart. You're not under uh, 10%. You're under grace. He says, let each man give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. You give as you purpose in your heart. I want to give you two things real quickly. First of all, the motive for giving and the results of giving. Let's talk first about the motive for giving. And here they are, very simply put. Why do we give? We give as an act of love, an act of worship, and an act of trust. We give as an act of love. We show our love for God and others. That's found in 2 Corinthians. We give as an act of worship. Giving is worship as an offering to God. That's Philippians 4. We give as an act of trust, trusting that God will supply our needs when we give away. Philippians 4 says, My God shall supply all our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You give as an act of love. You give as an act of worship. You give as an act of trust. Let me tell you about trust. You give away. You're going to have to trust God that if you had a hundred and you decided to give away 20 that you could make it on the 80 like you would have made it on the 100 i guarantee you'll make it better on the 80 than you would have made it on the 100 i promise you that because god says i will bless those and that if you sow sparingly you'll reap sparingly if you sow bountifully you'll reap bountifully god will take care of you that's the motive for giving act of love act of worship act of trust i knew a man that that, that, that gave away a lot. And I read this. He wrote, wrote this down. Somebody came to him and said, you're known for your giving. How is it that you give so much, but you keep having so much left? Because even though he gave away a lot, he just kept getting more and more in. Here's what he said. He said, it's like this. I shovel it out, and God shovels it in. He's got a bigger shovel. And it's true. The more you give away, the more you get. The, you know, that's why it's more blessed to give than receive. That's just the way it is. So here's the question. Are you generous with what we have? Are we ready to share? God gave it to us to be used for His glory. What's the results of giving? This is a very, very powerful statement. Results of giving is found in verse 19. It literally says, As you are storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Do you realize that when you give away, you're actually stockpiling, laying up treasure. The bottom line is you remember the, the things about when you do good here, it lays up treasure in heaven. Things here are all temporary. Things up in heaven, they're for eternal. You remember Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Do good and to share. So we're laying up treasures in heaven. Listen to this. This is Matthew six nineteen through 21. Don't turn there. Listen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also you know what he's saying that when you stand before jesus christ he's going to say well done good and faithful servant i have rewards for you 
and your service. You will be storing up treasure in heaven. Rewards when you stand before your Savior. If you if you want to sometime look at first Timothy excuse me, first Corinthians chapter three and second Corinthians chapter five, you will see those passages that deal with rewards and how God blesses us and rewards us. Paul is saying to the rich, don't hoard it, don't be conceited, don't be proud, but realize this is from God and be generous with what God has given. One day you'll stand before your Savior and we want to hear him say, well done. And we want to hear him say, you used what I gave you for the glory of the living God. That's what we want. He says at the very end, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed, real life. Real life, Paul says, is when you're living for the glory of God. Harry Ironside said this. He says, if you want to have life at the very best and use what God has given to you, use it to bless others. Is that how we look at life? Be generous, sharing, laying up treasure in heaven. Now, next time we'll end the book and we'll see what Paul says to Timothy about, once again, about false teachers and we'll kind of put the book together. We've seen some instructions. Instructions to the rich, six things. Don't be conceited. Don't trust in riches. Trust in God. Be good. Be generous. Sharing the results. Rewards in heaven. Powerful things. Let me give you some applications. The first one is put our trust in God, not things. It is so true. Where is the trust? Is it in a bank account or your home or your possessions? They're all temporary and they're all uncertain. You never know what's going to happen. Trust in God. He is the one that gives us everything that we need. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we need comes from God. Hebrews 13.5 says, Be content. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you trust Him? Sometimes it's hard to trust Him with, with finances and money and possessions and things. There's a story of an old man who had never been on a plane before. And they said, you're going to ride, you know, Grandpa, you're going to ride an airplane. And he was kind of afraid. And they got him on there. And he flew. And then when it was all over, they, as he came off, they said, Grandpa, how was it? What, uh, how was your first flight? He said, well, it, it was not as bad as I thought. But, you know, I never did put all my weight down. I never did put all my weight down. And see, sometimes we don't put all our weight down. We don't trust him. I trust him with this area, but I don't. Trust him with this area. And when it comes to money and possessions and riches, we're so afraid to give away. You know, you give a first fruits. You know what that means? It means when you get something, you give away on the front end. You don't give away on the back end. You just have to trust him. Put all your weight down. I trust you. Whatever you give, I'm going to give a portion away. Thank you, Lord. Trust him. He's the eternal one. Trust in the eternal one, not the temporal things. Second, use what we have uh, for the glory of God. Now think about that. that. That's a question we could ask. Well, how could I do that? Well, first of all, A, is we need to see things as given to us from God to be used for the benefits of others. That's why we have it. We're just passing through. All this stuff's temporary, so just use it for the glory of God. B, here's something to do, and this is a little bit hard. Stop and evaluate your giving. Use what you have. You know, it might be something, if you ever thought about this, what if you went and you said, okay, let me see what I have coming in. What do I actually have coming in? And what am I actually giving? And look at the percentage. Figure it out and see what it is. See if you're 1.7 or 2.2 or 5 point some or 10% or 14% or see what you are. Some of you may say, I already know what mine is. Mine's zero. Then make a change. Take what God's given you and Use it. Evaluate your giving and use what you have for the glory of God. John Wesley said this. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can to all the people you can as long as you can. And then see, 
Think about your motive for giving. What is it? Think about it. Next slide is our motive is an act of love, an act of worship, and an act of trust. And the result is that God will bless us. It's showing our love for God and others. It's our act of worship as we respond to God for who He is and what He's given to us. And we trust Him day in and day out, knowing He's going to provide and take care of us. May we put our trust in God and not things. May we use the things that God has given to us to help others and for His glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, thank you for the letter to First Timothy. There are just so many things in there that they're hard and they're things we have to apply. And Lord, first of all, we, we need to trust you and not things. We know that, that you're our strength and our shield and that you'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? We need to put all our weight down, Lord, and we want to do that. We want to trust you day in and day out. Lord, we realize that everything we have comes from you. Everything that we need comes from you. That, that uh, it's in, in what you've given us is to be used for your glory and for the benefit of others and so lord may we do that and may each one of us evaluate what what you have given us and what we're doing with what you have given us and lord thank you that we can give as an act of love and an act of worship and an act of trust knowing that you will bless us and one day lord i hope we all hear you say well done good and faithful servant thank you lord for these truths we ask this in jesus name amen